0: Colossians chapter 4, we return to that and we are drawing to the conclusion of this wonderful letter. Some people, and that's fine if they do, some people take verses 7 through 17 and say this is it and 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 work through it in one session. Well, we're going to take our time, as you may be well familiar with, but We are going to look at two individuals that Paul mentions, and one of the interesting things or characteristics of Paul's ministry is that he always associated himself with other... Labors very rarely worked alone. Maybe there's one exception that you might think of readily, and that is when he's in Athens waiting for his co-workers to come to him. He says, what am I doing here? And he see his soul is just so, so upset about all these false gods that people are worshiping. And you can read about how he gave a wonderful address to the philosophers there in Athens in Acts chapter 17. But usually he's with somebody. In fact, we first introduce are introduced to Paul back in Acts chapter 13. I said turn to Colossians 4, but Acts, th- Acts 13 is this passage where we read about the church in Antioch, where the um, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, Lucian, Lucius, and and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, and Saul. So we read about these different individuals, and then, of course, uh, we have the command from the Lord, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And that begins the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas go off on that and minister for a period of time. Second missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas were going to go off again until that sharp disagreement arose between them. So Paul chose Silas to go on that second missionary journey. On the third missionary journey, he has lots more people. Of course, as he's going along the way, he interfaces with uh, or meets Luke, the beloved physician. He meets Timothy, and, and uh, Timothy either comes to, to faith during that ministry or, or um, at least comes to more utility to Paul and, and the advancement of the gospel. Folks that named Titus and lots of different folks. So we'll see here in Colossians chapter 4, Paul lists so many names that are known to him and we realized that his one of his strategies was to work with people. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, which is an interesting number to place on that because it emphasizes the fact you don't do this by yourself. You need other people. 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the the idea is you've heard this from me, teach it others, and then they'll pass it along. So we have actually four generations of teaching uh, ministry in that one verse. And yet we the emphasis there is on relationships and, and it is on the, the utility, not, not so much the enslavement that, oh, you're, you're with me, so you do what I say. The attitude, it, we'll see it with, with this first guy and the second guy as well. It's service. Serving other people, ministering, ministering God's word, ministering hope, ministering comfort, and even the, the the encouragement to persevere in the face of maybe false teaching or opposition or disappointment or distresses. We need each other. We need to hear from one another. What is interesting also, and then we'll read our text here, is that Paul here in Colossians 4 mentions so many different names and, uh, and greeting, you know, so-and-so greets you and all this. This is a church he'd never been to. This is not a church that he had physically been present in, and yet he lists all these names, all these. You know, we see Tychicus, we see Onesimus, we see uh, Erastus. Was well, Erastus here? We we see uh, Luke and and Mark and and all these different folks. Paul is is I think somewhat helping the Colossian church realize you don't need those false teachers. They're, they're trying to get you to themselves, but you are in a, a company of much better saints who are in Christ. And don't don't think that somehow you need to go off to this side when you have everybody else available to you. We, we are here. We're part of this church. There, there's no special you know inside group. I'm Paul. I'm a bondservant of Christ. I'm a, I'm a slave of Christ. I'm an apostle, but I'm right alongside with you, Epaphras, or Epaphras is also with you, uh Tychicus. Don't real. Don't think that you're in this alone or by yourself. You're in with so many other sinners that need Christ. That we are walking together. We're walking toward that that Beulah land or that glory land, and we we walk together, and we need to support one another in that journey. Well, there were specific jo- jobs that man, that uh, Paul had for Tychicus. Let me read this text. I don't have it on the screen, but you can follow along on your in your in your scriptures, <coughs> starting at verse seven. Paul. Uh, mentions this. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow slave in the Lord, will make known to you all my affairs, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will inform you about the whole situation here. So we meet these two men, Tychicus and Onesimus. One other thing I forgot to mention is he lists all these different names. I didn't count them. You could count them. Uh, now or later if you want if you want a little numbering exercise just in that verses uh, 7 through 17 just notice how many different names as he mentioned but what's interesting is he'd never been to this church in Colossae if you look at the letter he wrote to Ephesus Ephesians we call it there are Paul's name or there is there Paul's name appears and Tychicus's name appears and that's it what is strange about that is that he didn't know Coloss- Colossae at all hadn't had been to the church but he had ministered in Ephesus for, well, three years, excuse me, three years in Ephesus. Why didn't he say, greet this and greet so and so and I love you. And, and why didn't he enunciate or elaborate on that? Probably, and we'll see it here, well, it's toward the end of, of chapter four of Colossians probably because Ephesians was what is referred to as a cyclical or cyclical letter or something that went not just to Ephesus, it probably went to the whole region of Asia Minor, the whole part of of Western Asia, and went to Ephesus, Laodicea, um, Hierapolis, Colossae, these these churches that are around there, maybe up to Smyrna, up to the north. It was a a letter that was meant to be distributed, so he wouldn't have used as many names to uh, a larger group, perhaps. You look at Romans. Never been to Rome before, but at the end of Rome, end of Romans, rather, chapter sixteen, same thing as we see in Colossians four. Name after name after name with stories behind them. His mother and ours kind of thing, um, or their mother, Rufus and Alexander. But you, you just realize Paul had a network of people all over the place, and he. Didn't use that to his advancement. He used it for the church's advancement. Recognize you're in in a condition or a situation. Lots of people. This man is useful over here. This man's useful over here. This one is is striving together for you uh, in the gospel and for grace. and, And you're not alone. You are not alone. It was helpful for Paul to re- realize that, too, because he sent Tychicus and Onesimus with news about him. Here he is. We, we are reading it. We haven't read the whole thing. We haven't finished Acts 28, but we're very close to it. He is under house arrest in Rome. It's going to be two years house arrest in Rome. He'd been that over winter shipwreck thing back in, in Malta. and Two years before that, he was imprisoned in, in Caesarea. Five years, essentially, four and a half, whatever. He had been in prison and he had people coming and ministering to his needs he wouldn't have survived without the assistance of others folks like uh, Luke or Tychicus and we'll we'll see more about him in just a moment but he says here in verse 7 Tychicus our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow a bond slave in the Lord, or slave in the Lord. This man Tychicus is one of Paul's closest associates. Now we can consider that Timothy is probably his closest number one, and yet or number two. But but we can see Tychicus. Whoa, one of these these fellows that we don't know much about. But what we do know is really impressive. First time we meet him historically is in Second Corinthians, or excuse me, First Corinthians, uh, chapter sixteen well, actually, we don't meet him there, but we, we see what the situation is that, that uh, probably that Paul met him or, or brought him into his utility. 1 Corinthians 16, he mentions the offering or the collection that is being made to, for Paul to take back as a gracious gift to Jerusalem. He says, when I arrive in Corinth, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. That is setting the stage. Now, Tychicus was not from Corinth. He was an Asian which is to say, from Asia Minor, somewhere in western Western Turkey, now we would call it. Um, and Corinth, of course, is in Greece, Nicaea. And, and, and yet these different Gentile-dominated churches were taking up a collection, uh, gold and, and other stuff, to to carry back to the church in Jerusalem because Paul wanted to show kindness, to show the affection, love, loyalty that the Gentiles had to their Jewish brothers in Christ, Especially as they're going through this this uh, famine and the difficulties back in Jerusalem and the opposition that was going on there, so that was the context. But in Acts 20 is where we hear this. We hear some of these names of people that are taking as emissaries or designees, design people that are designated by the churches to carry their gift with Paul back to Jerusalem. Acts 20 and verse four, we read about. Uh, let's see, Sopater of Berea, Son of Paris, and Aristarchus, and Secundus of the Thessalonians, Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus were of Asia. Timothy a little bit farther to the east, and yet they were going to travel with Paul to Jerusalem. You realize that saying, hey, I'll go, why not? Do right? you realize what that means? Over a thousand mile journey through, over with the with, uh, crossing of seas and, and uh, walking along the path, susceptibility to robbers, uh, heat and exposure, uh, difficulty going without food and water sometimes. It wasn't the, hey, I'll go kind of thing. Who, who's buying the airfare? Nothing like that. This was a daunting voyage to travel across these different regions of the Roman Empire. And yet they, they willingly volunteered. Next time we see... Tychicus is here in this context of of Colossians 4, but also in the the parallel idea in Ephesians 6. And we realize that he was a very faithful brother, as is mentioned here, very trustworthy individual to Paul, such that he carried the letter to the Colossian church, what he says here, uh, but also he carries probably that letter to the Ephesians what we call Ephesians, that cyclical letter to to the Asia Minor churches, Laodicea and so forth. We can see that down in, in verse 16 of Colossians 4. When this letter is read among you, which Tychicus is bringing, have it also read in the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was a city just to the west of Colossae, not very far, larger city. And you, for your part, read that letter. Read my letter that's coming from Laodicea, probably Ephesians that uh, is, is going around the different churches. So Tychicus was a trustworthy fellow to carry the scripture, what Paul was writing for the churches. He carried a third letter, and that is that letter Philemon, a letter to a a specific individual that we'll meet in connection with his man Onesimus uh, in just a moment. A little bit later, after Paul is released from prison, that's a spoiler alert, perhaps I just told you about it, so it's not really an alert here. Anyway, that Paul is released from his house arrest in Rome, and he goes off and ministers in Crete. He'd never been to Crete before in his first or second or even third missionary journeys, at least as, as it's recorded, but he leaves Titus there. I left you Titus uh, 1 and verse 5, so that you set in order the things that remain and appoint elders in every city, just as I directed you. Titus is there ministering in that church, in the churches in Crete, but there's a time when Paul says, I need you, Titus, come on over this way. And so in Titus chapter 3 and verse 12, toward the end of Paul's life, probably not after he's arrested the last time and and goes to prison and so forth. But he says in Titus 3.12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus, our man Tychicus, to you in Crete, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. So again, Paul is is sending Tychicus to replace Titus. Titus, one of these strong individuals, a preacher, a church planner, a a tremendous uh, New Testament person. And Tychicus is able to not replace him, but at least succeed him, at least to fill in for him at some time, we realize, whoa, this man Tychicus, he's some something else. And finally, we meet him again, Second Timothy 4 and verses 9 and, well, verse 12 especially. Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul is in prison the last time, expecting not to survive the imprisonment, expecting to go to meet his maker soon. But he says, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Timothy was probably ministering at that time in Ephesus. He'd been there all this while, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Uh, he's probably still in that context. But he says, for Timothy, I mean, Timothy, Timothy and Titus, Paul, Timothy, Titus, I mean, those are the people. And Ty- Tychicus is able to minister in his stead. So what we realize is that Tychicus was a useful, very useful brother, and he had uh, these endorsements of Paul, mentioned here in verse 7, three specific statements about him. He is our beloved brother. Now, we all, have, we all have family members and so forth, and we are called to love anybody. But he says this is not just a family member. This is a Gentile guy. Tychicus, most likely a Gentile. But he is my brother in Christ. What's interesting is you see that, that statement in verse 7, in the Lord. How does it go there? Fellow slave in the Lord. The question is, does that in the Lord, does that talk about a brother in the Lord, a servant in the Lord, or a fellow slave in the Lord, or all three, or just fellow slave? I'm going to argue, not very forcefully, but just I'll suggest that it's a fellow slave in the Lord. Because whenever you look at the language of family dynamics, not, not biological, but spiritual family, there's rarely a a qualification saying, you are my brother in Christ or brother in the Lord. Usually when you hear about it, it's just a brother or a sister. And we understand it is a spiritual uh, brother. One Exception is in Colossians chapter one and verse two, where he says um, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. So there's an exception to that. But he describes it, describes Tychicus as a brother in Christ, one who is is a, a family member with with Paul and with all the others. But he is a beloved, uh, a dear um affectionate kind of a person that I just appreciate him. I I, I love him. He has been so uh, near me and thick and thin. He has been an encourager. He's been a support to me personally. In fact, that leads into the second idea. He has been a faithful servant. Now, the question is, is he serving the church? Is he serving Paul? Is he serving Christ? Well, if you remember back in that First Corinthians 16 passage, he was serving the church, his home church, carrying that, that uh, offering that love gift back to the Jerusalem church so he was serving the church and yes he's serving Christ in fact I think that's what that last statement is he's a fellow slave in the Lord but I think that Tychicus was specifically serving Paul he was a servant to him not a slave by the way someone who is a voluntary one that was ministering to Paul and you can write this down if you want to this is in Acts 19 and verse 22 having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to to him, Timothy and Erastus. He himself stayed in Asia for a while. Why am I saying that? There's no Tychicus there. But Timothy and Erastus were those who were, here it says, ministering to him. It's the word service or servant that we have translated here. So Paul had all these attendants around him. He didn't treat them as slaves. Uh, Remember, we just read it in Acts 28. Who was the one out gathering wood? It was Paul. And when that snake latched onto his arm. It was Paul's arm, right? So Paul is not, you know, sh- serve me and you may kiss the ring and all that. He was, he was serving and administering and any needs he had, but he also had those who served him. He, he was under house arrest, you understand. He wasn't free to go about and go out and buy his, his produce and, and do all those normal things. So he had people that were attend, attending to him. Tychicus is a faithful, trustworthy, reliable servant of of Paul, as well as the church, as well as of Christ, but I think he's focusing especially on that relationship that uh, Tychicus is serving Paul. A third aspect here is that he is a fellow slave in the Lord, a a a um, one who serves Christ as right alongside with Paul. Paul did not regard his position as an apostle as something to be. Uh, celebrated for him, for his own sake. He argues it for his, the churches that he's serving. I'm an apostle. I'm serving you. I'm serving especially the Gentiles. But here he says, uh, this, this um, Tychicus is a joint or a, a fellow slave with me. So many times Paul refers to himself as a slave. And you think, that's kind of derogatory. Paul, what are you doing? Uh, and and you could say, were you, were you uh, imprisoned because, or enslaved because you were captured in warfare, or you were in debt and you sold yourself into slavery, or or what, you know, what what is this situation? And Paul's idea is, I'm a slave because God redeemed me, bought me for himself. I was used to be a slave of sin, Romans 6, but now I've been redeemed. I'm his, I could serve him, not with... Uh, even uh, elsewhere, Second Corinthians 3, I think it is, where it says we, we serve not in the oldness of the letter, the deadness of the letter, but the, the living power of the Spirit. We serve Christ. We are a slave of Christ. He refers to himself in Romans as a slave of Jesus Christ, called as apostle. He says, I'm a slave of Christ, Galatians 1 and verse 10. Uh, Philippians 1 and verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Colossians, he refers to Epiphras uh, as a fellow slave, same word as we see here of Tychicus, and uh, other other places. It's interesting too. You would think when when the half brothers of Jesus, biological uh, brothers of Jesus, born of Mary and Joseph, that would be James and Jude, our half brothers of the Lord, that maybe they'd kind of drop name drop in there, you know, brother of Jesus. I I grew up in Jesus' house. No. James 1 and verse 1 says, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he viewed it. Jesus is an old different category. Yes, he's, we're biologically related, but so is everybody else. We're all sons of Adam and Eve. And yet he viewed himself as a slave, as one who did the will of, of Jesus. Jude is the same way. Jude 1 says, uh, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of, not Jesus of James, that guy we just read about. And so we realize that this idea, this identity of slavery or being a slave is is not a pejorative, it's not a negative thing. We're all slaves of something. How, How much better would it be to be a slave of Jesus? Instead of being a slave of sin, being a slave to yourself, enslave you or, or come under the mastership of the Lord Jesus Christ that's what Tychicus did a fellow slave in the Lord for the purpose of the Lord for the advancement of the Lord to to glorify his name for for people to come and find their hope and joy in him well it says in verse in these verses that Paul has sent Tychicus for a specific job and verses seven and eight say, Tychicus will make known to you all my affairs, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose. He's not coming on a little vacation trip. You know, Rome is nice, but what about Colossae these days? you know, it must be nice in spring. Uh, No, he, he sent on a mission. He will make known or disclose to you. He'll tell you all the stuff that's going on about me. And there's a lot to talk about Paul's life and ministry. And, and again, with these folks who had never met him personally, he wants to fill them, and they've heard maybe about his imprisonment. Whoa, it's this imprisonment thing. And he wants to, to not set the record straight, but inform them for the sake of their prayers, for the sake of their comfort, realizing that, as Paul says to Timothy, Second Timothy, that don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner. Now, you think, thought Paul was a slave now he's a prisoner well he's a prisoner of Christ in the sense that he's in jail on the cause or on behalf of Christ he's there in the Roman prison not the nice house arrest deal the Mamertine prison It's it's called which is dark and dank and the execution is expected for him by the time we get into second Timothy but the the affairs the concerns that Paul has is not so much for himself but for other people to be established in their faith and not to be turned aside to this pretty argument or this other thing over here which was an issue in Colossae these false teachers were afflicting them I want you to know about my affairs I've sent Tychicus for this very purpose now this this language here leads into the next phrase in verse 8 I've sent you for this very purpose there's one purpose that Paul sent Tychicus uh, to to uh, F, to Colossae for and that was to make known to them all the affairs he could have sent his his uh, uh, the letter he was writing to them through another hand perhaps maybe even through onesimus who we'll meet in just a moment but he says i want to us to go because he he's on the inside he is my trusted fellow right the faithful servant and all those things Jesus just mentioned and how that plays in is because in your translation maybe in verse eight it says so that he may know about your circumstances i've sent you to i sent I have sent Tychicus to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances or your translation, if it's King James or New King James or or Wycliffe or Geneva or a few other translations has the, the, the translation, that he may know about your circumstances, Either way is good way. I think it's it's the first way that is to say that you may know about our situation. I think that is is uh, best best attested in all the different manuscript evidence that we have, and it is mentioned as the specific role that that uh, Tychicus was sent for. But the opposite or the contrasting that he may know about your circumstances. Do you realize Paul was very concerned about the Colossian church and the Ephesian church and the Laodicean church and the church in Derby and Lystra and, and the Antioch of, of Pisidia and Antioch of Syria and the church in Jerusalem and the church in Athens and the church in Corinth and Berea and Thessalonica and Philippi and all these different places. He's always concerned about these churches in this list of, of things that he has faced as an apostle, a servant of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 11, he lists all these horrible situations that you don't want to wish on yourself or others, but he says, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is made to stumble without my burning concern? My point is, whether the translation or the text would read, so that he will make known to you all my affairs, or that he would understand all your affairs, it's the same idea. He wants the, Paul wants the Colossian church to be established in the truth, knowing that what Paul is facing is not Unexpected is to be expected of everyone. Also, I think Paul does want to know how is how is the church going. Colossi, Tychicus, go there, get a report, how things are going, come back and report to me what's going on over there. I need to know. And so, either way, you want to want to translate it. I think it's it's fully fully reasonable. Paul was very concerned and hoped that Tychicus could give an update. He says that that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. The, the exchange of information. Paul did not send Tychicus just as a reporter, but as a a tender reporter, uh, one who was concerned about the spiritual status and advancement uh, of the faith of the Colossian church. Again, this is a church that maybe Tychicus had never been to. Tychicus being from Asia Minor may have been in that area, but but he had a specific task of encouraging their hearts, comforting them. This phrase of or this idea of encouraging hearts is uh, several times in Scripture we can see. For example, in in the narrative of Joseph, uh, son of Jacob, and the, the reconciliation he has with his brothers, J- Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis fifty and verse twenty one says twenty one says So now do not be afraid, I'll provide for you and your little ones, and he comforted them and spoke to their heart. So there is some kind of a soothing. Uh, a hopeful, hope-giving kind of a word that, that Joseph is giving to those that were estranged from him and, and were kind of concerned. Okay, now our father's dead and maybe now he's going to take vengeance upon us because we really did him wrong. He says, don't worry about it. I'll provide for you and your little ones. What a, what a gracious and encouraging, comforting word to their hearts. When Ruth talked to uh, not her husband yet, but her master, the one that she was gleaning in the fields of. Ruth said to Boaz in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 13, May I find favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and he have spoken to the heart of your servant woman. though not like one of your servant women. I'm different. I'm a Moabite. These are Jewish people over here. I'm Gentile, but you've comforted me, spoken to the heart of your servant. We realize that not only are we speaking to the heart, of those who we're listening to or we should have that perspective we are speaking from the heart so when we say when we say something we say oh i didn't mean that." i don't know where that came from well where did it come from oh excuse me and we start covering up the heart because what is the meditation of the heart that's what the mouth speaks So be careful what you say but also intend your words for the encouragement of other people. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says that we should speak words that are gracious according to the need of the moment that it would build up those who we hear. Encourage, not just a, a soothing, like a pat on the back, but a, a like a big old bear hug with your words to show that kind of comfort and that hope. Maybe specifically a, a an encouragement to persevere in the truth. Persevere in Christ. Don't turn aside to these false teachers, these empty philosophies and vain deceptions. You're settled in Christ. Stay there. Another time we see this, and this is tremendous. There's a big transition from Isaiah 39 to Isaiah 40 and the rest of the rest of his prophecy. But Isaiah 40 and verse 2 says, Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call out to her or comfort her. What? T- tell her what? What, what are you going to tell her? That her warfare has been fulfilled, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received from the hand of Yahweh double for all her sins. In other words, it's done. All the judgment is done. Comfort, speak to the heart of Jerusalem. This is over encourage the hearts. We see a, a similar trend, uh, text to that in Second Thessalonians 2, verse 17. You could look at that if you want. Encouraging hearts and strengthening them in every good work and word. So Titus had a, or excuse me, Tychicus had a specific job. Tell the people about uh, Paul's experience in Rome all the circumstances about it, and that he would use that not as a downer, as, oh, well, you know, Paul's been in prison for five years, and it doesn't look good, and all this, and going to the Caesar, and we know who the Caesar is. No, it's hopeful, it's life-giving. We're going to suffer opposition. We're going to suffer persecution. Christ is worth it. Christ is worthy. He is my master. I serve him, Tychicus could say. And we just, we, you know, be, be strengthened, be encouraged in these things. Verse 9, uh, we, we close with this, and that is that Onesimus also was sent along with Tychicus to the church in Colossae. This man, Onesimus, we don't know as much about, I would say, and yet we maybe know a little bit more about Onesimus than, than uh, would be appropriate to know, his background story. He's only mentioned twice, well, by name, twice in Scripture. And we see that he was somehow a close companion of Paul in Rome because he says, our faithful and beloved brother, which is one of you. So he's a native, evidently, of Colossae. He's going back to Colossae because Paul is sending him with Tychicus. But he is a faithful and beloved brother. And we think, oh, that's great, wonderful. And he must have had a good upbringing and he must have been a good fella. and And it's just, wow, good for you, Onesimus. Have you read Philemon? Onesimus, to cut the story short, is a slave who escaped or fled from his master Philemon. hence the name of the, of the letter that was written to Philemon. And somehow found himself in Rome. And, you know, that whenever you want to disappear, you go where all the people are. So Rome is the biggest city he could think of. I'm going to go and just disappear and just live my life and, and run away from, from my former master. Well, there's a problem with that. Roman law says that any fugitive slave, sh- if they're found, they should be killed. Just be done with it. No, because if they've done it once, they're going to do it again. Just end it, done. Well, he found Christ, or better, Christ found him. Ones- Onesimus was saved, perhaps under, well, most likely under Paul's uh, evangelization, as he says in Philemon, the letter to the Philemon. to Philemon, And yet, uh, he was still a slave, still legally under the mastership mastery of philemon and so when tychicus carries the letter to the church he is saying okay onesimus let's go back with him and going back to philemon paul sent this man onesimus back and we can read about it that in philemon verses 10 and 11 there's there's only one chapter so we skip over the chapter and just say the verses paul says i plead with you Philemon, for my child Onesimus, of whom I became a father in my chains, who is formerly useless to you. Onesimus and this word useless are kind of very similar. Onesimus means useful or, or, or um, helpful. And he says he was formerly useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Um, and then he says receive him back as a, as, a, as a slave, but more than a slave, a brother in Christ. And so there's that appeal I'm sending him back as your slave, but he's more than a slave. He's your brother in Christ. Doesn't mean that that somehow Paul was freeing him. That's kind of the whole whole thing of, of Philemon. I could have kept him to myself, and and maybe we'll study Philemon next. I don't know, just to, to close that loop on the on the story there. But uh, so much is going on in Philemon. Point is, Onesimus was a runaway slave, probably even stole from Philemon to finance his journey. That's well, a Expensive to cross cross country like that and yet paul says i'm sending him back receive him treat him well he is a faithful and beloved brother wait a minute he's a runaway slave a a thief a lying deception and yet now he's a faithful and beloved brother yes just like so many other people change that christ makes in a person's life when they repent when they confess their sins before him he has become a faithful where he was formerly useless uh, he is useful where he was formerly faithless he is now faithful And a beloved brother, affectionate, same what he said about Tychicus. He is a a beloved brother, one who is now uh, commended and no more a dishonest or faithless uh, person, but now trustworthy. He says he's one one of you and uh, he's coming back into Colossae. Finally, he says they will inform you about the whole situation here. Not just the news about Paul. But the whole whole circumstances, what's going on? Not just with Paul, but even the church. We read about it. We're reading about it in Acts 28, that the gospel is going forward. There's a church already, right? They just met with some brothers in, in the, around Rome, and now the church is being established more so. So uh, Paul wants them to know about the whole situation, everything going on over here on the other side of, of the uh, little sea that separates them, all the, all the news that's going on. He wants them to know about these things for their own encouragement, for their building up of the faith, and, and, um, their perseverance in the gospel. So the question is, well, what is that news that Tychicus and Onesimus were bringing back? It wasn't just Tychicus. It says here they will inform you. So Onesimus is going to give his perspective on things as well. Just to conclude here, some of the news that Paul says is really encouraging, really amazing, really uh, startling, even the perspective that Paul has on it. He could have said, oh man, I've been in a prisoner for five years. It's horrible. Food is not good. The people are a stinky bunch of Roman soldiers. They're not very nice. And he focuses on this, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Part of the news because Philippians he also wrote during that time first Roman imprisonment. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, what he's been talking about here in Colossians 4, have turned out what for the greater progress of the gospel. That's his viewpoint, of, he's viewing all his his suffering, all of his trials How is the gospel advancing? How is the the progress of the gospel going forward in my circumstances? And he says, I want you to know that it has turned out. It has fallen in this way. By the way, I didn't mention, Tychicus' name comes from another word. It's not used in the scripture so much, but it has a a meaning of fortuitous or fortunate, uh, lucky. might be an American abbreviation called Tychicus lucky. But we see that Paul is seeing how God's providential hand is working in ways that that Paul could never have have orchestrated by himself. I see this has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Verse thirteen says, "So th- in my chains, or in my chains in Christ, have become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard." So the reason why Paul is in chains is because of the gospel and the whole guard that has been surrounding him, or or. Um, watching him as he's under house arrest. The whole guard that is part of Caesar's household, which we'll see in a moment. What does that mean? It's, uh, everybody knows what Paul is in prison for. It's not because of robbery, not because of murder, lying, insurrection. It's because of the gospel. And this is probably teaching about this Jesus guy of Nazareth and, God, and Judea, Galilee. And everybody knows about it. And everybody else, verse 13. And verse 14 says, Most of the brothers, that's Christians, right? Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my chains have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So he says, look, the gospel is going forward. People know what I'm here for. The brothers in Christ are confident to preach that thing. Some to be sure, preaching Christ, uh, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. And he goes on and on talking about these different things. Verse 18 says, "What's, what's going on? I want In pretense or in truth, whether it's deception or or envy or whatever, I want Christ to be proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my salvation through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He didn't know whether he'd come out guiltless, declared innocent by Caesar or not. He says, it doesn't matter to me. As long as Christ is magnified in my body, whether by my life or by my death. The last word is in Philippians chapter 4. He mentions the greater progress of the gospel, and even those in the the whole Praetorian Guard knows about this. Paul brought the gospel to Caesar's household. He was preaching the gospel in Caesar's own little residential complex. Emperor Nero, godless, filthy, disgusting gentleman. Yet he says, Philippians 4 and verse 22, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Wow. The gospel through Paul in prison has now infiltrated Nero's house, his family, his servants, maybe some of the the, the, biological family members. But the gospel is going forward in a place you'd never, never expect it to be. Can we trust God? Can we be faithful to God? Can we uh, do those things that we may not embrace or choose? You know, God says you can choose A, B, or C and we don't know which to choose. Better let God choose. Just be faithful in those places where where he has put you. Uh, bloom where you're planted, my grandma would say, uh, or brighten the corner where you are. You remember that old song? And just be faithful as Tychicus was faithful. Uh, be a beloved brother. Be uh, um, concerned about how your person you're talking to will be encouraged in the Lord. Have a view that you are bringing news, not just for your own sake. Paul is saying, I want you to know about my circumstances, me, 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 me. It's so that their faith would be established, so that they would be encouraged in their ministry and their faithfulness to the Lord. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about all a self-focus. It was always saying, how can the gospel go forward? How can people be established in their faith and it being fully convinced of God's attention, and affection, and purpose in their lives. The gospel's worth it. Paul eventually was beheaded for it. The story, by the way, Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was rather a common name, but there is, um, so this is about 62-ish, AD 62. Within a few years, another couple decades, Onesimus is, or a man named Onesimus, whether it's the same one or not, is referred to twice by Ignatius. Ignatius is a Uh, disciple of John, Apostle John. So end of 1st century, beginning of 2nd century, not very far away. A man named Onesimus is called the Bishop of Ephesus, a pastor serving in Ephesus, guy named Onesimus. Is this the same guy? We don't know. Don't know. It's a very similar name. And yet God can change a person's life. One who is formerly useless now is useful. One who is faithless is now faithful. A person that, that Philemon could hate. Now as a beloved brother, the change that Christ makes in our lives is tremendous. And you can be part of that life change in other people. You can't change their lives. The gospel, the word of God, changes people's perspectives. Be faithful as you spread the gospel. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for men like Tychicus and Onesimus and certainly Paul and Timothy and all the others. And we pray that we would realize that we are part of that wonderful assembly of just men made perfect the the uh, the salvation that we all enjoy by your grace jew gentile slave free all these different categories that we can you know cast aspersions about but we're all needing uh, this jesus and the savior the saving grace that is available to all who call upon you we thank you for the history that we celebrate and that you use people in in their different circumstances and situations, you are a God of redemption. A former slave maybe became a pastor in Ephesus, and we, we see that you are uh, just so faithful, so surprising in, in many ways how you are advancing your gospel. It ought not surprise us. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and even the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You are the God of life. You are the God of resurrection. You're God of redemption and life change. We pray that we would be discerning and deliberate about how we use words, not to serve ourselves, but to serve other people, to encourage their hearts, to uh, direct them to the saving grace that is found only in Christ, and to be faithful until the end. We thank you again for this time and even our study in Colossians as we are close to wrapping it up. We are very grateful for the glory of Christ, the sufficiency, the supremacy of Christ in all things. Please help us to live each day for his glory. We pray in His name, amen.